Grab on BFBS with Kate Jabot. How should Britain decide to go to war? A report says the long conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan demonstrate a failure in decision-making. The UK reviews its Navy options in Gibraltar in the latest spat with Spain. What's the significance of the bomb outside the Iranian embassy in Beirut? And how does playing with Action Man influence children's opinions of war? Britain must have a more systematic way of deciding when to go to war. A report by the think tank Chatham House says this would avoid repeating mistakes made in Iraq and Afghanistan. The report says that people were allowed to make it up as they went along when Britain went to war in those countries. Earlier I spoke to the report's author, James Duval, and I asked him what he meant by that. What's evident, if you look at the evidence that's come out in the Iraq inquiry and some other public inquiries into what happened in Afghanistan, is that really was a very wide range of behaviours from some of the people who were taking the key decisions. So both the politicians, who I think have been the ones who've been most blamed for what went wrong, but also senior civil servants and senior military officers. And they were really allowed to interpret their roles in ways which made sense to them at the time, but didn't necessarily make sense for good policy. Do you think the controversy surrounding Britain's involvement in these conflicts could have been avoided had the process been perhaps a more, more clear? I think so. I mean, uh, I think what, uh, what would have been a benefit if you had a sort of a clearer and a stronger formal system is that when you have these sort of unexpected and very dramatic international crises, you have something for the government machine to fall back on. As it, were, you, as it was, you got the sense that a lot of these people were confronting these sorts of issues for the first time. And they'd had a lot of experience of fighting wars in the previous 10 years or so, but they'd been you know, slightly less controversial, rather smaller, and the stakes seemed to be less high, perhaps. And so they thought they knew how to operate, but in fact they weren't really up to the challenges of the time. You're critical of the relationship between the military and politicians. What was wrong with that, and is it getting any better? I think, uh, to my mind, um, there was a, a degree into which, in which the military didn't really treat the, their political um, masters with some of the respect and concern that they needed. I mean, they felt that they were in a position sometimes actually to lobby and pressurise politicians um, to fall in with their advice. Now, I think in many cases they had good reasons for doing that. And also, to some degree, the politicians were, were willing to accept that because they didn't want to be accused of backseat driving or interfering in the professional business. But it did mean that sometimes, to my mind, we took decisions that were not taken for national security interests, but really for the sake of keeping the relationship between the politicians and the armed forces, or the senior members of the armed forces, um, keep that relationship good, keep the relationship happy. And I think that also undercuts the degree to which, actually, it's the ministers who are in charge because they're the ones who are accountable. It's very difficult if uh, ministers can't really trust their advisers, their military advisers or their civilian advisers, because they think they have a different agenda or because, you know, they've got their own relationship with the news media, which was one of the other uh, things that was going on during this period. It's not that long since David Cameron said famously, you do the fighting, we'll do the talking. Has that relationship got any better? Well, my report really is about the last government because that's where the, uh, the evidence um, of how it will work really is, is available through these inquiries I mentioned. So it's a little bit difficult to, to tell. 
But I think in some cases, um, things have got better. You know, we now have this rather new, this new formal structure called the National Security Council, which seems to be working quite well and which allows military people to give their professional advice in a sort of trusted forum where everyone knows what their role is and how they ought to play. I think perhaps less helpful is the way in which um, uh, senior military officers now seem very hampered with what they're able to say publicly or say to researchers like me. They're under very close control from the the political leaders in the Ministry of Defence and in the government. Now, that means that we don't necessarily know what's going on. But on the other hand, it's understandable, given the sort of what I would call the indiscipline of of the first ten years of this, this century, And I think what we need to do now is try and establish a new relationship of trust between the politicians and their senior military officers so that we can have some sort of open discussion about what's going on without risking some of the, I would say, the failures of the political military relationship that we saw in the past. That was James Duval, visiting fellow at Chatham House. Well, BFPS defence analyst Christopher Lee is here with me as usual. Hello, Christopher. Um, What do you think of that report? Absolute theory. It is the sort of thing that you get in a... I was going to say a not very good dissertation in a, in a, in a master's degree. <laughs> Why don't you just shoot it down, Christopher? No, I'm not shooting it. I mean, look, come on, let's start it. Let's start. Uh, I mean, he did, he did have some interesting things to say, didn't he? Let's face it, in terms of the relationship between the military and the politicians. OK, he said absolutely nothing new that hasn't been said before. That's the first thing. And yet, from a study, from something like the, with the RUSI emblem on it, you need more than that. He talked, for example, the National Security Council seems to be working quite well. Of course it is, because we're not, we're not thinking about going to war. That's when you test it. You don't test it, you know, on a bank holiday. The other part of it, he says, the, this is all about uh, national security interests. National security interests are, are, are movable. They are pure theory because what you have to go along with is the political theory. theory. So no mention here, although it does contain in the report, of that relationship and that very personal relationship between Blair and Bush... And that's what changes policy and also the relationship with with Prime Minister, for example, and the rest of the Cabinet. It also doesn't uh, take in one very, very important thing. This is, oh, the military were giving maybe bum advice to the politicians. Quite frankly, the military wanted to go to war. The military need to go to war to maintain the the stance of the military, both economically and also structurally. Um, The report does draw on statements used in the Chilcot inquiry, yet to be published, of course. Is it likely to say the kind of things that he's been saying? I mean, he's saying that there's not going to be any kind of smoking gun from the Chilcot inquiry, but there are going to be important things that come out of it that might be overlooked because they're not that exciting if they're about systems and the way things are decided. I think the the political side of uh, Chilcot is good, and we've heard of it. I mean, if if you've done what people like me did and sort of just sit through uh, sort of hours and hours and hours when they were talking about the political considerations, then you see, see the problem. We have a problem at the moment. Uh, and that is that Chilcot, so that they can complete their report and therefore publish it, they want about 150 documents, which are the conversations between uh, Prime Minister Blair, later Prime Minister uh, Brown, on the reasons for going to war, and especially the, uh, the, the memos at, between Prime Minister Blair and President George W. Bush. Mm. They're not letting those out. The reason they're not letting them out is because the present... The present permanent secretary in the cabinet office who has control of this was Blair's Mm. private secretary Mm. at the time. 
Yes. And therefore, he doesn't want to be embarrassed by the whole thing. That's political reality. That's national security interests. Um, that's the sort of national uh, national security council interests which I would have hoped was in this report. Uh, OK, um, the decisions to go to war in the light of the current circumstances in terms of the armed forces being massively reduced, do you think Britain would ever go to war in the similar circumstances again? Well, it won't have the equipment to do so. And that is very simple. And the most important thing about this, uh, I mean, that sort of question, is that not so much do you think we would, but could we go to war? Uh, and the future is probably, we all know you can't go to a war like in Afghanistan without the Americans, or the Americans will ask you. And therefore you take part in the coalition of the winning, of, of, of the willing. So what you actually have to do is to say, look, we'll go. We will go to war, but our role will be reduced. In terms of the changing face of the army, obviously we've had this backbench rebellion which was defeated yesterday on army restructuring. We've also seen um, the Desert Rats saying goodbye to their Challenger 2 tanks. Royal Scott Dragoon Guard will now become this mobile force equipped with jackal armour vehicles. Is that the end of an era? And in terms of the rebellion, is that over now or is that going to rear its ugly head again? No. It, I mean, one reason it won't in that form and I suppose the Gulf was the last time that it did so, not Afghanistan, uh, was the fact you don't have main battle tanks anymore. The main battle tank, if you like, is, is superseded by the, uh, you know, by the cavalry's new charger, which is an Apache helicopter. And, and so the concept of what you do, yes, this is the end, not so much an era, but what we can do, as I say, you will go to war, but your role will not be so 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 large and therefore less magnificent, which all politicians like. All right, Christopher, stay with us. Sit rep with Kate Still to come, what's the significance of the bomb outside the Iranian embassy in Beirut and how do toys shape opinions of war? PFBS Sit rep. Britain is reviewing its Navy options in Gibraltar after an illegal incursion into its territorial waters. On Monday, a Spanish state vessel was accompanied across the border by three Guardia Civil vessels and stayed in Gibraltar's waters for 22 hours, ignoring continued requests to leave as well as a challenge by the Royal Navy. Yesterday, the Conservative MP Bob Neill asked an urgent question on the matter in the House of Commons, and he joins me now. Hello, Bob. Um, you call for strong diplomatic representations, legal action through the international courts and an increased Royal Navy presence. Uh, presence. What was the response? Well, the Minister has said that all those are important issues that we will be uh, looking at. Um, we have, as you know, called in the Spanish ambassador um, yesterday. Ironically, the response from Spain was immediately to increase the delays at the border. Um, so that shows their attitude. But I do think we need to ramp up the um, diplomatic pressure. Uh, Spain is clearly in breach of international law in relation to this, uh, and so I'm going to be continuing to press uh, the government to uh, start proceedings. They take a long time to resolve. It's not a quick fix, but I think we should be putting that marker down. Um, uh, and uh, they agreed, uh, they assured me, that they will continue to keep the naval presence under review. Christopher, uh, why know, do you... I had some specific suggestions as to what we can do there. Why do you think Spain is being so difficult at the moment, Christopher? Uh, it's, it, what's interesting is it's been going on for the time it has. This, this time, it happens every so often. Uh, Spain has its own internal problems, and that is particularly important at the moment. There are issues over property taxes on both sides, but uh, particularly in, in Spain itself. And also the political situation of the Spanish government, um, it's rather like putting up more flags. But Bob Neill, earlier this week, the MP Colonel Bob Stewart said that Britain should send troops to Gibraltar to train and boost Britain's military presence there, um, suggesting that rather than perhaps Kenya. Would that be helpful? 
Well, he might be. Um, I mean, I agree entirely with Christopher's analysis. What, what do you think about what Bob Stewart said, though? Purposes. Well, Bob's idea, as you know, was to put a, a, a regular company uh, on Rollmont uh, to, 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 to go there. And I think that's worth looking at. Um, the specific suggestion I made, as you know, was of a deeper draft pr- patrol vessel because although the fast patrol vessels we've got are very good, um, they're very light draft and there's a real risk actually of capsize if you're tackling mm. some of these larger Spanish vessels. If, I if, think those are all potential parts of the mix. But but if it's true that, that Spain is looking for a bit of a distraction from its own problems, aren't we kind of playing into their hands if we're responding in this kind of way? Well, you have to um, calibrate it fairly carefully. That's why I think it's uh, mistaken to talk in terms of one or two people did in the debate of um, uh, withdrawing the Spanish ambassador and that sort of thing. That would be uh, an overreaction. Uh, there is perhaps a sense... They must be loving it in Spain, though, mustn't they? Well, I mean, the Spaniards, I'm afraid that there is a long history, as Christopher pointed out, that when the Spanish governments, particularly the Partido Popular, have internal difficulties, and they've got massive internal difficulties at the moment, not only with the economy, but, of course, with very serious corruption allegations which are affecting the Prime Minister himself. This is a very good distraction. On the other hand, we also have to show to the people of Gibraltar that we are very firmly with them and make clear to Spanish society as a whole that they are simply wasting their time, that there is no prospect whatever uh, of Gibraltar's sovereignty uh, changing. Christopher. So getting that mix. I tell you what, Bob Stewart's a great guy, but you try doing exercises in, in Gibraltar that you were doing in Kenya, <laughs> you know, try and do it uh, sort of uh, vertically up the rock instead of across wide plains. The important thing here, if you want to send something to Gibraltar, Put yourself a frigate in there. Put yourself something grey in there. To, uh, that shows the sort of solidarity. Do not mess with us. And um, it, it is not the same as the Falklands. It will not turn out the same as the Falklands. But there is this sort of political thing when the government goes at the moment in the Argent- Argentina, for example. Argentina is moving right to the left. Listen out for more, for more mumblings about the Falklands. The other thing to remember, Spain and the United Kingdom that are arguing over this both members of NATO and both members of the EU. EU and NATO are there to stop this sort of thing, and they don't. Uh, Bob Neil, I mean, you're talking about the border checks, and last week the European Commission ruled that um, the border checks by Spain hadn't broken EU laws. Um, how do you see that progressing? Well, I, I think, frankly, the European Union were taken for patsies by the Spanish um, authorities on that one. Um, it was, I was in Gibraltar over the National Day celebrations, and interestingly, um, they scaled back the checks then because they knew there were a lot of foreign visitors there, um, uh, and then they ramped them up again. And, of course, the, the, the European uh, Union Commission gave notice of when they were going, so naturally they, they, they scaled them all back down again for one 24-hour period. Um, so I don't um, have great confidence in that. that. They have said that they will be reviewing, reviewing six months, Actually, if Spain persists, I think we should go back and say six months it is too long. But I agree with Christopher's point, where we should be doing much more, and the government, I, I conceded this in the um, discussion in the House of Commons, it is using our common membership of NATO and the EU, because what Spain's doing is in breach of their obligations uh, as NATO allies and as the EU partners. But, Bob Mill, where do you see politically this going next? What's the next stage? The next stage, I think, is to develop um, much more support within NATO and the EU because it's in nobody's interest, least of all Spain's, uh, for for this uh, to get out of hand. But we have, first of all, to look to the uh, interests of the people of Gibraltar and the Gibraltar economy because that's what the Spaniards are trying to do. It's trying to damage the Spanish Gibraltar economy. We have to protect that. There's an important EU role there. Long term, Spain will be a loser if they get into a breakdown of economic relations with the UK because we invest more in Spain than the other way around. Mm. So it's, it's very foolish of them, but we just have to take that very firm 
but I agree, not over-the-top type of response. All right, Bob Neil, thank you very much for your time today. My pleasure. Now, this week, the Iranian embassy in Beirut was bombed in a region where bombings are commonplace. Why is this the most significant event in two years? Is it, Christopher? I think it is. Um, I mean, the, if, you, if you like, the reason the attack took place on the Iranian embassy is a revenge for the uh, Iranians uh, backing Assad in the Syrian war. That's the first part. Uh, it, is a, it is a conflict of Hezbollah, which is uh, Lebanese base, and which is Shia. Mm -hmm. They are supporting Assad. And so you've got the, if you like, the, uh, the, the uh, Lebanese elements, Al-Qaeda elements, which are all Sunni, they're taking this as a place to hit them. Now, this becomes very important. I mean, when you think, for example, there are 800,000 refugees from Syria in Lebanon at the moment, that's 20% of the population. Now, this is going to spread. It's only just beginning. Yep. And it's going to spread to the, to the Gulf states. And eventually, when it starts to spread further than that, we're heading to something rather dangerous. When you say it is going to spread, you, you're arguing that this is a symptom of a larger war. It is a symptom. That it's not respecting borders, that there's something else going on. Yeah, it is, it, is, it is. If you want to know what the Third World War is going to be at the moment, this is the beginnings. This is, I don't mean the Sarajevo of, uh, 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 of a Third World War, but it's the beginnings. And what it is, is a war not between the traditional sort of protagonists. It's a Third World War in, in, in Islam. It is between Shia on one side and Syria uh, and Sunni on the other side. And the, wh why we're interested in this... One is because it'll involve great things like Gulf uh, oil supplies, but also because, you know, we've got fighters in, in Syria at the moment, many of whom say they're coming back and they're going to start trouble in the United Kingdom. OK, well, we can handle that. But every single major area has got fighters who've gone to Syria. What we're beginning to see is something much bigger than anybody ever imagined. I mean, it's quite, quite a big thing to say. How many people are thinking like you, Christopher? Um... They will in future. And I think we're seeing something now which we ought to be taking far, far, far more notice. And the reason we're interested is because British forces are going to be actually called upon to, to enforce the security of the United Kingdom and United Kingdom interests, which they haven't before. And in doing that, we will then become targets for either Sunni or Shia, more likely Sunni. And don't forget, Sunni is the, rever it is the, is, is the revision of the whole Al-Qaeda principle. It is something much bigger than just a bombing in Beirut. MPs are launching a full-scale inquiry into grievances of Gurkha veterans. It's going to be conducted by the all-parliamentary group on Gurkha rights and is understood to have the blessing of the Prime Minister. A Gurkha veteran has been on hunger strike in Whitehall for the last two weeks. Um, Christopher, this was Ganraj Rai, who was demanding the same pension rights as the equivalent of British servicemen who served in the armed forces, isn't it? Um, are you surprised by this move by the government? No, you got it right when you said it understood to have the blessing of the Prime Minister. You bet it has. The Prime Minister is fed up with things going wrong. And my guess is the Prime Minister or the Prime Minister's office who went across the road and said, hey, listen, let's get this sorted. This is simply bad news. I mean, whether he died or not is, is indifferent to majority of the public because they don't know about it but certainly Downing Street didn't want this on their, on, their, on their hands what it tells us is this there is amazingly amazing incompetence in Whitehall 
it's failed to anticipate the consequences of this protest. Having said that, you could argue that the, the Prime Minister has seen it's a problem and reacted. Well, it's been a problem now for two weeks, but the point is it should not have got to that problem. It should have got to the point where they said, OK, we know how the Gurkhas react. What was that happened last time? They dug out Joanna Lumley to go along and speak for them. She scared the, the, the minister absolute witless, and therefore they had to back down on it. Now they've backed down on this guy. So simply, it is not anticipating what might, possi might be possible. But back down in so much as they're going to look at it, and they're going to consider not only pensions, but also health care, benefits, allowances, and other historic grievances, as they put it. Um, so is there going to be some kind of major breakthrough here? I think it could be... a. Not a major breakthrough, but I think what it could do is get people thinking, listen, we can no longer go back to the old idea that this was a hangover from imperial days, that these people, when they uh, signed on, they were desperate to sign on in the British Army. They would have almost worked for nothing, that these are days when you could actually pay them less than, than the regular forces. And now we're having to look at 21st century uh, results compared with 20th century results, and that is the major change. All right, Christopher, stay with us. This is BFBS. Sit rep. Uh, Christopher, what toys did you play with when you were a little boy? Lots of sh uh, ships. Ships in the bath, was it? Uh, oh, they were a bit bigger than that, but I mean, it was. Uh, I had HMS Amazon, uh, um, and uh, yeah. Um, ships, lots of Royal Navy ships and lots of merchant ships, especially merchant ships. Mm, it was tanks for me in the sandpit with my brothers, firing matches. You had to keep up <laughs> with your brothers, didn't you? Well, now scientists are to spend half a million pounds examining how toys shape opinions of war. The two-year study will look at how playing with toys like Action Man influence children's opinions on conflict and terrorism. Well, child's play expert Dr Tara Woodger from Portsmouth University joins us now. Dr Woodger, good to talk to you today. Um, do toys influence people's opinions of war? Well, that's what we're hoping to find out through this new research project by using the uh, HM Armed Forces do uh, toy range in particular to look at how children make sense of conflict and support initiatives. I mean, I, I anecdotally know a few parents who really care about whether their children play with guns or not. Uh, not, not real guns, but obviously toy guns. Does it really matter what children play with? Well, I think the war play debate is now really well rehearsed and actually what we're trying to do is something quite different in not judging the toys and whether they're good or bad, but actually finding out what children are doing with them and how they're making sense of the wider world through them. In your experience, how much does how children play and what they play with affect their adult lives? Well, it's, it's difficult to make that link between what the children are playing with when they're very young and how that goes on to shape what they do in adult life. Um, what we're concerned with is how children, and the particular age range we're looking at is six to ten-year-olds, what those children are making sense of those toys in relation to. Christopher, do you, th do you think this is worthwhile research? I, 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 it's, it sounds to me as it's a very good thing to get some funding for to do it on toys, especially if you can get some funding from some of the toy manufacturers. Listen, I mean, one of the problems with to uh, toys, in it is a generation ago and you made up your own decisions you made up an, an idea how you would fight it and that's why wargaming is still good but the great influence great influence looking around at kids at the moment are video games where you cannot relax you cannot you don't have to take your own decisions it's whether to kill or not mm. and that is the big imaging is the visual imaging rather than the most beautiful imaging with 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 these small toys you know with your your your, your, t your tanks and my HMS Vanguard, uh, that has all changed. Dr Woodrow, does a consideration of video games come into this research? 
Um, it doesn't at the outset. We're deliberately trying to move away from video games because we're looking at a younger age range and the toys that lead them on to those more digital. Right, lots of young children things. play with little games these days. You know, little they've got you little I don't know what they call VTech type things as well. Um, I'm, I'm sure they do, and the children I know play with those games as well. But there's research already being done around video games, and what we're trying to do is tap into this neglected field of these other kinds of toys that are still popular with children today. Mm -hmm. um, the Her Majesty's Armed Forces dolls, a, a new British version of Action Men, are very popular. Do children understand that the doll is a model of the troops they see in TV's news reports? I mean, do they make that kind of relationship? Well, we haven't actually started the research yet, so it's impossible for us to say with any... Uh, firm understanding at the moment but that's what we're really interested in looking at how they're making those links between this particular doll and how it's modelled and what they're seeing on TV for example. Okay so, so two years time um, the kind of things you think you might be saying I suppose it's early to say but the kind of the areas that you'll be drawing conclusions on are we think it's important that uh, children's play isn't seen as something in isolation, but how it relates to these wider issues around what's shown on TV news footage, for example. That's what we're looking at. All right, Dr Tara Woodger, thank you very much for your time today. That was Dr Tara Woodger from Portsmouth University. Um, Christopher, your thoughts in general on this? I think, as I said, I think it's a, it's a very good way to get some research funding, frankly. You go along to a toy it's manufacturer. It's interesting, though, isn't it? It's well, it is interesting, but you can't... If, if you do that and you're talking about the younger ones. Well, how younger, if you said, uh, DVDs, uh, those sort of, you know, Tara sort of stuff, you've got to actually sort of say, we're going back down to the age of four. And, uh, I mean, there are also different attitudes from parents. I mean, do parents actually let them have a sort of a, a, an orbit of the British Army versus some other army? Uh, uh, I mean, when I, when I was a kid, we were still fighting the Second World War. Now, you don't get many toys with... Uh, you know, Messerschmitts, uh, the sixteen shotgun. What kind of what kind of war toys did you have in that time? We had well, I what did we have then? I suppose we had uh, probably little soldiers which you painted. That was another thing about them. Um, but mostly, we you see with mine, you still had the aircraft, you still had, but ships mainly HMS Vanguard. Uh, which was the big symbol of the Royal Navy. We still believed, and that was the difference. When I was a kid. My father, for example, had been in the Second World War and all around the families, which I'm talking about that period, they would have been in the services themselves. And I think that's one of the big things that's changed. And if you look at the moment, the, the, uh, the Afghan war, the uh, war in Afghanistan, rather, has been going on for much longer, nearly twice as long as the Second World War. Mm -hmm. And it involves a, a much difference in, in, in public perception of warfare. Now, that's the main difference between the toys of today and the, uh, and, and the video games. The video games don't let you off the hook, whereas the, the soldiers, you put away at bedtime, don't you? Or you're supposed to. Well, um, let's have a little look now at what else there is around this week and also next week. Afghanistan, Christopher. Afghanistan, at the moment, the, the lawyer Jirga, which is the sort of the Council of Elders, is, is meeting. The Americans put up an idea that uh, they'll keep 15,000 troops after the withdrawal time in in Afghanistan to try and help and guarantee security. Subject to this agreement being done, this deal on yeah, security. Well, uh, President Karzai and the Americans have agreed that, and they've said, for example, the Americans won't go chasing into, in, into homes unless they're actually called in or they're tracing, uh, chasing uh, terrorists. But it's up to the lawyer Jirga to agree this. If they do, let's mark this, because if the Americans are staying with 15,000 troops maybe the United Kingdom will end up by saying hmm. we're going to stay a bit longer. Not the whole lot, 
Mm. You've got money on that one, are you? I have done. <laughs> uh, Pakistan. Uh, yeah, new drone attack. Uh, eight people killed, including two of the uh, Haqqani network leaders. You know, this is the sort of, t- we would call them uh, terrorists. And that's just three weeks after the Pak Taliban leaders uh, mm. were killed, uh, Hakimullah uh, Mesud. Big story, this, because, it, again, it undermines the uh, Pakistan uh, civilian government. Turkey. Suspect suicide bomber outside the Prime Minister's office yesterday. It reminds us that apart from the problems they have with uh, with, with Kurds in, in, in that country, the whole Syrian thing is spilling over into Turkey, a NATO member. OK, um, let's look ahead to next week. What do you think is going to be on the agenda to look out for? I think we ought to watch far more for the uh, for what's going on in Egypt. I think the Egyptians are actually losing a grip on Sinai. There were, I think there were 11 soldiers killed uh, yesterday there. But the most important thing to uh, really, really to look at is what is happening in Beirut and how quickly the, the Sunni versus Shia war is going to start spreading well outside of Syria, well outside uh, of of, of uh, Lebanon. All right. Thank you, Christopher. Thanks to all our guests this week. If you'd like to join the debate, we're on Twitter. You can tweet us at BFBS SITREP. Remember, you can listen again to this week's programme on our website, bfbs.com slash SITREP. We're back at the same time next week, but for now, from me, Kate Chabo. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye for now. And music Music. for the British forces. This is BFBS Radio 2.